Hi, this is Unsuitable with Mary B. Seyfried, the podcast where I interview single Christians about their lives and faith. Hey there, and welcome to the series and season wrap-up. The last four Dynamite interviews from Ian, Amber, Nina, and Petra focused on work, but there were themes of story, communication, and connection running through all of them. They shared a ton of wisdom on how their faith informs their work, so go back and listen if you haven't yet. I'm going to shake things up a bit for this wrap-up, so I'd love your thoughts and comments on what style you like better or if you like the variety. Today, I'm going to pause it and explore a question that ran through all four episodes of this series. At the end, I'll tie in how all of this helps you in your everyday life. But for the first part, I'd love to take the opportunity to dig in together. All four interviewees spoke about their work, but there was a sub-theme of communication and storytelling. Ian talked about acting as storytelling and as an exercise in empathy, and he described God as the ultimate storyteller. He spoke about his craft as a way to communicate the truth of the human experience and how faith informs the way he approaches a role. He spoke of how he uses his imagination to prepare for a role and how certain roles have connected him to God, other humans, and himself. Amber spoke of communication in her work as a way of connecting her to the men and women she works with and people who see the world differently than she does. As someone who works in a sensitive and hot topic field, engaging with people's stories has taught her empathy and humility. Nina described her work communicating cerebral ideas and means of expression in an approachable manner. She talked about working with talented artists and thinkers in a way that confers dignity and respect. And Petra, spoke of the many ways she has used words and story over the course of her career. She's communicated as herself, as a ghostwriter, and as a writer coach. She spoke of the effect Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye had on her as a young child, and the power of seeing someone like her depicted in a story. She described the uncertainty of working in the business of words and how she communicates with grace. And so the question that arose as I listened to each of these amazing storytellers was this. What is the role of storytelling in the age of information? To phrase it a few different ways, when we can Google any question that pops into our head and immediately get an answer, what place does storytelling have in how we understand our world, each other, and ourselves? Why speak in abstraction when we can find a listicle for any and every whim we have? When we are oversaturated with content and overwhelmed by the number of choices we have, what is the point of something as seemingly circuitous as storytelling? These questions are the basis of today's discussion. I devoured books as a child. In the moments when I wasn't outside, barefooted in the dirt, and conversing with thin air. Each summer, my brother and I spent a week or two at our respective summer camps in the mountains of North Carolina. The trip always began at the library, where we chose books on tape to fill both seven-hour car trips. There and back again, as one might say. We listened to everything. A children's tape of Greek mythology, censored stories from Arabian Nights, The Hobbit, Harry Potter 
These stories were the only things that captured our attention completely enough to curtail the sibling squabbling our conversations inevitably devolved into. While we listened to many books, there were several I kept coming back to. I loved stories of adventure, mystery, and fantasy. I was riveted by the way an author could begin with a question or a scene and then string along a series of events and bits of information to eventually reveal a completed picture, though I didn't think of it in those exact terms as a child. The craftsmanship of Revelation mesmerized me as each author chose to give me pieces, deliberately pulling back specific parts of the curtain at precise moments, never too much to give the game away, nor too little to keep me interested. The series I truly grew up with was Harry Potter. I was seven when my mom placed a first one in my hands, and 17 when the last one was released. I read and reread them, devoured the audiobooks, which were masterfully recorded by Jim Dale, listening to the stories virtually on repeat. Something about that story kept me coming back. That lonely little boy who was introduced to a world that had been right in front of him, and yet he had never seen. Growing up as he, Ron, and Hermione grew up, watching them learn and imperfectly seek to do what was right because it needed to be done, it spoke to something unnamed and unexamined deep within me that I didn't have words for yet. I cannot fully articulate the gift that all these authors gave me because it was a gift I didn't know I was getting. In a time when my world didn't make sense, these stories taught me hope, not by giving me a literal definition or even an explicit allegory, but simply because they brought me into another world and showed me the human experience in that world. These were people, sometimes children like me, who lived in worlds that didn't literally resemble mine, but they were also worlds of chaos and darkness and confusion that these characters were figuring out how to live in. And yet even though the characters had no concept that they were in a story or that they would make it through the story, the author saw them through every danger and uncertainty and placed them at a conclusion where all the disparate pieces fit together. Their challenges led to a satisfying end, and the bigger picture was made clear. The best ones were worlds in which I could immerse myself, where there was danger and confusion, but ultimately a loving author who knew where we were going and who would make sure we made it there. The path might be long and circuitous, the bad guys might be scary, but these were merely moments, plot points that kept the story moving. The larger arc always led inexorably to the same place. It helped me believe that, as Sam tells Frodo in The Two Towers, that there's some good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. Stories help us make sense of the incomprehensible, not by giving us literal definitions, but by freeing our imaginations to see what might be. Not just fictional stories, but true stories as well. They draw our attention to something we wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Eugene Peterson writes, Storytellers activate our imaginations to see and hear beneath the surface of life and involve us in the many dimensions of what is going on behind our backs or just around the corner. That's something that Amber and Ian got at in their interviews. Stories move us from memorized facts and talking points into the guts and bones of each other's lives. But more than that, they have this ability to connect us to our unexamined pain and delight and fear and longing. 
When we hear or read a story and see ourselves in the characters, when we read the words that have been rattling around in our souls, when we watch the characters struggle in ways that we have or those closest to us have, we lean in and we want to know that the story ends well, because then maybe ours will too, even if the ending isn't what we expected or thought we wanted. It's interesting to think about our current cultural moment, the cacophony and the existential dread that follows around every millennial I know. Whether it's the reality of the 24-hour news cycle or things truly are as dire as they seem, everything feels desperate and urgent. And with threats like climate change, white supremacy, and stories of global political instability, our instinct is to try and stay on top of facts and doctrine. It is difficult to resist the instinct to dig in our heels, to dehumanize and demonize our opponents, and to try and yell louder than everyone else. To be sure, we need accurate information, smart people coming up with practical solutions and advice, to engage with local and global issues, and to advocate for the voiceless. But I wonder if there's a way to do so without losing connection and empathy in the process. As a Christian and a communicator, It's helpful for me to look at how Jesus communicated. He was a man living in an occupied land, a member of a minority people group. The existential threat to Israel, its people, and its culture was ever-present. This is a longer quote from David Brooks, but it paints a picture of the cultural moment Jesus entered into. Everything was fraught, semi-hysterical, tension-filled. Under the boot of the Romans, Jews clung intensely to the temple as a remaining foothold on this earth. Desperate criminal gangs roamed the countryside looking for plunder. Minor league revolutionaries were perpetually rising up and getting crushed. There were seven small revolts between AD 26 and 36 alone around the time of Jesus' ministry. We get a picture, then, of Israel as something of a powder keg. As we enter into the story of Jesus and the stories Jesus told, this is the world we enter into. Jesus showed up on the scene and began proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand. And how did Jesus communicate? He gives sermons and he teaches. He prays and performs signs and miracles. But he also tells stories and has ordinary conversations with his friends and followers. And he uses these stories and conversations in specific and strategic ways. The stories, called parables, were disarmingly ordinary and yet shockingly subversive for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. They serve an entirely different role from preaching and teaching. They don't merely relay information. Peterson writes, Parables are a way of saying something that involves the imaginative participation of the listener. Inconspicuously, even surreptitiously, a parable involves the hearer. He continues to say that a parable is not ordinarily used to tell us something new, but to get us to notice something that we have overlooked, though it has been right there before us for years. Or it is used to get us to take seriously something we have dismissed as unimportant because we have never seen the point of it. It is interesting to note that many of these stories, at least the ones recorded in the book of Luke, occur as Jesus and his followers are headed from Galilee to Jerusalem, where Jesus will be executed. As things become more and more urgent, 
These everyday encounters and stories are brought to the forefront of Luke's account. There must be something here that Jesus doesn't want his followers to miss. So why doesn't he just tell them? I'm sure the answer is multivariate, but I want us to consider the participatory nature of storytelling here. It's a powerful way for Jesus to show his followers the kingdom of God in action, in their midst, in their everyday lives. He shows them the subversive effect of a life reordered to the priorities of the kingdom of God, transforming every aspect of their lives and hearts for the benefit of their families, communities, and culture. And though we have to work a little harder to understand the context of these stories, we are brought into them as well. But it is important to notice how we as modern readers enter into the story. Who do we assume we are in the story? Who do we assume to be the protagonist? What lenses are we bringing to the story that might not serve us well? The fun thing about Jesus' stories is that they are masterfully crafted because they are told by the true master of the craft. God spoke the world into existence using language, the same method we use to say things like pass the salt. And God is weaving together an intricate story with our lives and our participation in the kingdom, but also an eternal story of which we are smaller than a pinpoint. When we read well-written or hear well-told stories, they give us a glimpse of what we hope could be true, but in our daily lives may not dare to believe. Tolkien, specifically speaking about fantasy stories, writes, In such stories, when the sudden turn comes, we get a piercing glimpse of joy and heart's desire that for a moment passes outside the frame, rends indeed the very web of story, and lets a gleam come through. Whether it's the latest bestseller or that same old tale your uncle tells every Christmas about the time he caught that impossibly large fish, stories always tell us more than the events and facts. They tell us what is important to the storyteller. They train our imaginations to engage in our lives and our world. They invite us in and connect us to each other. They take big cerebral ideas and translate them into the absurdity and pain and joy of our actual lives. The stories that live inside us are how we have learned the world works and our place in that world. And so it is also stories that have the power to rewrite the false narratives we've taken on and to speak to us in our most wounded and vulnerable places. Dr. Abe Cho wrote, What wounded people need is an engagement with the imagination that enables them to experience Christ's love precisely in the place of their pain. The most healing stories for me operated on a level that I didn't understand at the time. Reading the final pages of the seventh Harry Potter book, I found myself crying for reasons I wouldn't understand for another decade. As I struggled to complete my undergraduate research project, a feat I was certain to be beyond my ability, I played the Lord of the Rings movies on repeat in the background as I worked, because they gave me that extra push and reminder to not give up to keep going one step at a time. Recently, reading the parable of the prodigal son has begun to thoroughly piss me off because of narratives that have moved from the undercurrent part of my brain into my conscious awareness. And now, I read the story of Jesus as an adult, 
and I hear my friends, mentors, and pastors describe this story in their own words. A story that is everything it promises. A story that is absolutely real. And in the hearing and reading, God rewrites the stories I believe about Him that might not be accurate or healthy, and teaches me to question where they came from. The ones that tell me that grace is a gift I'm not allowed to have, that He is kind and merciful to everyone else, but I'm held to a different standard. Slowly, these stories are replaced with freeing ones, and the reality that it is far better than I could have imagined, that God sees all the pain and the sin and the wounding, and He was there with me in all of it, that God does not demand what I owe and can never possibly repay, but invites me into the party into his embrace, to participate in the personal and cosmic work of the kingdom already in progress, that there is grace sufficient for even me, and that it's okay to need it, that it is, in fact, far better than I could ask for or imagine. How would your life change if you were able to engage with your story in this way? How would that ripple out into your relationships, into your community? We need better information and systems. We need more equitable policy and hold each other accountable. But how would your life change if in the deepest parts of your soul and your life, the story changed from, I am unsuitable, to, I am fully seen and fully loved. What underlying stories, memories, and wounds are writing doubt where there could be faith I want to leave you with some words on story from Emily P. Freeman, an author and podcaster. The story arc can be one of hope, even though each part of the story may have had its share of hopelessness. The story arc can be one of faith, even though the characters may have shaken fists and asked hard questions and yelled at the top of their lungs. The story arc can be joyful, even when people are broken. Remember that today is a plot point. Thanks for listening. Credits for the quotes can be found in the episode description. That is officially a wrap for season three. I'm going to take some time off to dream and scheme and plan. So follow me on social media to stay up to date with what's happening. If you're digging the idea of stories and parables, I write stories specifically for single Christians on my blog, marybesafer.com. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Click on the Join the Conversation tab and get on my email list. You'll get my newsletter every other Wednesday, which contains an exclusive message and simple tips for increasing your mental bandwidth and deepening your relationships. Theme music is by Chad Rollinson and sound editing by Andrew Kim. Unsuitable with Mary B. Seyfried is copyright Mary B. Seyfried, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>